you pray over me, and I need all the prayer I can get, as you know. So, Don't we all? <laughs> Father, thanks for this morning. It's so good to be here with uh, Gordy and the rest of these folks, and to, and to be playing here, too. So as Gordy speaks now, I ask that your spirit would flow through him, uh, that he be sensitive to anything that you have him to say beyond what he's prepared, and to remember what uh, you gave him in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, have mercy on him now and, and bless him. Let this be a time he speaks what you know that we need to hear. Amen. Amen. Thanks, friend. <laughs> awesome. So if you're just joining us, we've been uh, in a teaching series entitled Expand the Table, and we've been allowing the lectionary, going through the lectionary, uh, which is a selection of readings through the church here, organized to tell the story of the gospel, um, to inform us uh, of how uh, to expand the table. And of course, Palm Sunday is, is not just the story of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. It also marks the time in the Christian year when we move into Holy Week. So it, there's this kind of bittersweetness about Palm Sunday. It's a, it's a celebratory day, but it's also, there's this sobriety and soberness about the fact that Jesus is about to enter his suffering and his death before his resurrection. And so we've been talking about making more room. Uh, and this is not about getting bigger, necessarily. In fact, if, if we really talk about what we mean by expanding the table... It might mean getting smaller, <laughs> right? More and better disciples and authentic missional community. Uh, when I started a youth group in Calgary, we had 30 kids, and I wanted to make disciples, and we grew to seven. And I found out that sometimes when you're really serious about discipleship, you don't get bigger, you get smaller. And Jesus experienced that, of course, in his own life in ministry. But this is what we mean. More and better disciples and authentic missional community for the good of the world. And so how does Palm Sunday inform us? How does Palm Sunday inform our quest? And to answer that, I want to start with this question, is what was Jesus' primary topic through his life and ministry? What did he talk about almost obsessively, more than any other thing, more than love, more than forgiveness, more than salvation, more than healing? What was his primary obsession? Sally? The kingdom. Yes. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. Or just the kingdom he would talk about. And you can't talk about kingdom without the implying a king. Really not a kingdom without a king. And the problem is, is we have problems with the word kingdom, as I implied earlier, because there, it's a bit antiquated in our days of liberal democracies, the idea of a king. And usually we relegate it to the idea of colonialism, oppression, authoritarianism, domination. I hate the word dominion. You know, that Canada is called a dominion. I hate that word. Because it implies domination. It implies stolen land. It implies residential schools. It implies uh, di- dispossession. Uh, so even though it's, it's a biblical word, it really grates me. 
Thank, thank God it's not used that much. But the word kingdom is. And Jesus used it a lot. And so we kind of are left with two, two options. We're left with either we, we, we find an alternative phraseology. And some people have tried. Instead of using the word kingdom, they use the word order or society or family or community instead of kingdom. But the problem is, is that the word kingdom is so pervasive in Scripture, particularly with Jesus. If it wasn't Jesus, we might be able to get away with just messing around with it. But Jesus used it so much. Are you ready for this? How many times did he use the word church in the Gospels? How many times does the word church show up when Jesus used it? Two. Two times. How many times does the word kingdom appear? 177. Right? So the, the, the fact is, is that the church is, is it, it's important, but it's subservient to the kingdom. I like to see the church kind of like Mary in relationship to Jesus. She brought him into the world. She was important. And she is important. She still is important, by the way, whether you're Catholic or not. Um, because there's something about her life that speaks to our relationship with God and the kingdom of God. And, you know, we, 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 have, we struggle with terminology. Like, I saw the discussion about calling God Father a few weeks ago on our, our, our Facebook. And I understand completely why some people prefer to call God Mother. And I understand completely why some, some are more comfortable with Brother. And th there's, 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 there's wounds with regards to the word Father. So I think God is Father, and I think God is Mother. We call God Father because Jesus called God Father, and he, he did it a lot, so we stick with the term. But the, we, that term still needs to be redeemed for most of us, doesn't it? We still have to redeem. Really, it's, it's parent. There's so much more than, than just God being male. God isn't male. God is, it, it, it transcends gender. He... he, he has male and female and created us, created us in that image. So language fails us. That's part of the problem. Language fails us with a lot of these, these issues. But Jesus also understood the importance of language, and so he used the word kingdom. So I think that there's, there's, an, there's an important reason for continuing to use it. Because God is king. God is ultimately king. Uh, I was reading Psalm 5 the other day, and the, the psalmist, it's a lament. He says, hear my lament, O God, my king. My God and my king. God is the ultimate king. And the thing that hurt God so badly when I Israel demanded a king was they were rejecting his kingship. So the gospel is all about God's kingship being restored as opposed to Twisted and oppressive and colonial and dominating kingship. God's kingship being restored. The gospel is about God saying, okay, you've had your shot at it. Would you like my king now? Would you like my kingship now? And of course, we have that story in, this, in the story of Samuel and Saul. 
So there's another option, and that is to redeem the word king and the word kingdom. And I think that's what Palm Sunday is all about. If we're going to effectively expand the table to First Nations, who really, uh, other than 3%, have a hard time crossing the threshold of a church today in our country. Right? So grateful for Stephanie. I, you know what? It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a courageous act every time she walks into a church. And, and others of our First Nations friends. It's difficult. Francis, our dear friend from Lower Post, tells us, to this day it's hard. You, you, don't, you don't just get over that. Right? There's healing and a journey. And, and our hopes are, Stephanie, that we can walk with you. That this is not a, a one, one touch cures all, but it's, it's a journey of mutual healing where we, are, where we learn from each other and grow together. So I just want to declare we need you. We need you in our community, in our fellowship. And part of that is the hopes of redeeming the understanding of what a, what a true king is. So let's look at how Palm Sunday redeems that understanding and meaning a little bit. And uh, Matthew describes that event as this. As they approached Jerusalem and they came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. By the way, I've been to this town. It's a spectacular view of Jerusalem as you come in from the eastern side. And uh, I can still remember the moment when Kathleen and I together came over the bluff of the hill in Bethphage and saw the city of Jerusalem still there. So Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, which may have been Bethany or Bethphage, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Isn't that beautiful? Can I just read that part again? Hey, you Tri-City folks, do you remember this one? I remember preaching this in your church. Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. And only Matthew brings out the, the fact that there was two donkeys. The other Gospels talk about the colt. This one talks about the mother and the colt. Isn't that something? And there's something so tender here. Because Jesus said, bring them both. He rode the colt, not the mother. And I asked Tri-City, we were having kind of a communal sermon one day. I still remember this, clear as this moment. I think it was Val who saw this. The heart of God to not separate the colt from the mother. As that colt would carry Jesus into Jerusalem. Untie them and bring them to me. Now we need to understand that Israel was in a fever pitch right now expecting Jesus to make his entrance as Messiah. They had just recently, almost by force, made him king. Um, they, they were expecting the kingdom. Luke tells us they were expecting the kingdom any moment. But over and over again, their attempts to make him king were rebuffed and disappointed. I mean, he, he, but now it's Passover, and if you've read the Gospels, you'll know that Jesus, as a child, every year, was brought to Passover by his parents. And at the age of 12, of course, that memorable event that happened. So, as was his customs, he's coming for the Passover. And so the people go, the penny drops, kind of, for them. They go, hey, 
okay, we get it. He's taking advantage of the Passover. He's run a good campaign. He's healed the sick. He's calmed the storms. He's fed the 5,000. He's left them wanting more. Now it's time. Perfect timing. He's going to finally fulfill our agenda. So the word spreads like wildfire when they hear he's getting the donkey. Because there's a prophecy from Zechariah that comes to their mind. Oh, wait a minute. Messiah. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them. Isn't that interesting? That there's a tenderness there. That God has made himself vulnerable to actually need us in terms of what he does on this earth. He needs you. He needs me. And of course, it's mutual. It's not codependency. It's interdependency. But there's a, there's a beautiful vulnerability of Jesus that started when he became an embryo in, in, in the body of a teenage girl. As God became dependent on her for his very life and existence. And then when he was in his adult years, it says there was many women with means who supported him just to keep him alive. Luke chapter 8. Radical, by the way, for that patriarchal society. That a man would be sustained by the income of women. And all his disciples as well, by the way. Because they ate a lot. You ever seen guys eat? Oh my gosh, they <laughs> You've seen them. You've seen me too, haven't you? <laughs> Veronica. So this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And they're going, hey, hey, a sign, a sign. He's finally getting it. He's going to come in the city, and it's time for him to be Messiah. That's not the Messiah. This is Shrek. And the reason why I'm bringing up Shrek is, my favorite character in Shrek is Donkey. And Eddie Murphy just did an amazing job as the voiceover. And he, Donkey was my, so I want to talk to you about donkey theology because this donkey was my favorite person. And I think Eddie Murphy did a great job portraying donkeys, but donkeys were not war horses. They were not war, they're, they're part of the horse family, but they're not, were not used for war. The, the most that donkeys were used for in warfare was they would carry the injured, the wounded. Isn't that interesting? And they're good for petting zoos. You notice they don't have a wild stallion in petting zoos for the kids to ride on because they're gentle. They have a reputation, yes, for being stubborn. But actually, they're not stubborn. They are discerning. If they don't sense something's right, they pick it up. And my favorite story is the only time in the Bible that God spoke to an animal, and that was the donkey. Oh, yeah, I know he's, there was the talking snake, but the only other time that an animal spoke, where God spoke through that animal, was a donkey. Am I right? Yep. I, don't, I can't think of any other time. Uh, let me know if I get that wrong. 
But it's the story where Balaam was actually going against God's will when God had told him not to curse Israel and he was a mystic and a prophet and he was being paid big money to do it. So he thought he would try to make up his own prophecy and he was riding his donkey and the donkey sees this angel with a sword drawn ready to just slice Balaam's head off. And the donkey takes off into the ditch. So Balaam pulls out his stick and starts beating the donkey. Terrible. Animal abuse. And he tried to save his life. So they get back on the road and the angel disappears and they go a little bit farther and then the angel stops in this place where it's really narrow. It's like a wine press with a wall on each side. And the donkey sees the angel again. So he refuses to go forward, but he goes sideways and crushes Balaam's foot against the wall. And Balaam, just infuriated by the pain, beats the donkey even harder. And then a little bit farther along, the angel disappears, but a little farther along, the angel appears again. And there's actually no way... For, no, nothing for the, the donkey to do but sit down. So the donkey just sits down. While Balaam is just furious. So he beats the donkey worse than ever. And then all of a sudden the donkey speaks to him. And he says, why are you beating me? I'm just trying to save your life. And Balaam is so mad he doesn't even figure out that the donkey is talking. He starts arguing with the donkey. He says, you... You stupid beast. I wanted, I'm trying to go, so what's the matter with you? He said, I saw this angel with a drawn sword ready to slice your head off. I'm trying to save your life. And God opened his eyes and he saw the angel. And he realized the angel, the donkey, had saved his life. What is the significance that the only animal that God ever spoke through was a donkey? And the only animal that we know that God rode, it seems, was a donkey. There's a beautiful gentleness about Jesus described in Matthew as the, on the way that he decided to come into Jerusalem. The way he treats the mother of the donkey. The fact of the matter is, is that donkeys are very hard to multiply and to breed because the, the mothers get so attached to the colt that they refuse to go into heat. So they don't uh, reproduce as fast as horses do. They, it, they reproduce way slower, and the, and the mother will stay loyally beside the little colt till that colt is on its feet and independent and able to, to get on on its own. And, and that will often last years. So Jesus knew that. So there's a beautiful sensitivity and compassion that Jesus shows towards this donkey, to, towards this mother, that God cared about the feelings of this animal, this, this uh, mother donkey. And it characterizes God's leadership. Isaiah the prophet gave this beautiful prediction of God's leadership this way. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. I love that. A bruised reed, Isaiah said in another place, he won't break. A smoldering candle he won't snuff out. There's something about God's gentleness that's not weak. It's, it's infinite power under control, under the control of love, under the control of compassion, under the control of mercy. And of course, we'll see that increase as we go through Holy Week, won't we? As he goes to the cross. 
So I'd like to offer some thoughts. Number one, God's reign is characterized by humility, gentleness, and patience. When I have insomnia, I, and I don't have it every night, but there are nights at my age where I suffer from insomnia for an hour or two, and as I've shared with you before, I often just quote scripture. I've memorized most of Ephesians, put it to heart. And in the last little while, I've been in Ephesians 4, as you've been hearing in my benedictions. And um, Paul says, as I'm laying there on my bed, on my pillow, trying to sleep, Paul says, Dear sisters and brothers, I beseech you as the prisoner of the Lord that you walk worthy of this calling, this vocation. More than a PhD, Kirsten. It's more than being a multi-billionaire. This, every one of you has a vocation and a calling that is so high. And he's just taken the first four, or three chapters of Ephesians to describe it, hasn't he? That you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. You've been raised from the dead and you're seated with God in the throne. He says, so, so walk worthy of that calling and here's how you do it. In all humility and gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another in love. Why would Paul say bearing with one another in love? How many have found that there are people around who are annoying, irritating? And, and usually it's the ones you get close to. Remember the guy that describes human community like a bunch of porcupines? who huddle together on a cold winter night. And they're getting so pokey. They realize they have to stick together, otherwise they're going to freeze to death in the ark. I heard another beautiful illustration of the, of the church this week. Noah's ark. It's really stinky inside, but the alternative isn't very good. Right? But that's community, right? That's family. That's life together. It gets pokey pokey. You sing, the, do the pokey pokey. That's the yeah, that's anthem of the church. People are annoying. People are irritating. And Paul said, here's how you live your vocation. Here's how you demonstrate the reign and the rule of God. You've got somebody that voted for Harper in the last election. And they sit right next to you. Or, or Trudeau, or they like Trump, or they like whatever, Obama. And, and they're sitting right next to you. It gets pokey in the church with viewpoints and ideologies. But the cross says, I will love you anyway. Even though we have differences, what we have in common is greater and transcends our differences. I was saying to Aldona this morning, I want to put a sign on our church door. Perfect people not allowed. Why? Yeah? Why? Why? Think about it, Veronica. Because oh, no. <laughs> it's hard to be humble when you're perfect. <laughs> You know that song. You want to sing it with me? It's hard to be humble when you're perfect. 
<laughs> in almost every way. There we go. All right, moving along. If Jesus came to your town, how would he come? I was just reading, ironically, the birth narrative this week from Luke. And I was overwhelmed by the earthliness and the smelliness of Jesus' arrival. The humility and the way God chose. I already mentioned him making himself dependent on the body of a teenage girl. But when he arrives, he's born in a manger. Do you know what a manger is? That's a feeding trough. Do you know where the mouths of those animals have been? Have you ever watched animals? And he's, and he's wrapped in swaddling clothes, put in a feeding trough. I've had an animal around our house the last couple of weeks, Kathleen and I. It's a brand new baby husky. My son's here visiting us from Calgary. Cute little husky dog. Where's the picture? Oh my gosh. I've become a different kind of grandpa, I must say. <laughs> We've had so much fun with that little guy. But you know, the, and, and he's so great for kids. But I've been touched by God's heart for animals in the incarnation this week. He loves animals. And he made them, of course. And, and I, I'm thinking of the fact that there was horses and sheep and cows in that location where Jesus was born. And who does the angel first announce his arrival? The arrival that the Messiah has come. Who does the angel pick? Does he pick a palace? Does he pick the priest? Does he pick the church? Who does he pick? Shepherds. shepherds. And you know what shepherds were? They were marginalized. They were looked down upon by the rest of society because of their association with animals. In fact, Jewish people, the Hebrews, were looked down by Egyptians and other cultures and societies because they were Semitic and, 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 and shepherding, nomadic-type people. And that seems the way that he, he lived his life. You know, I had this idea. I was part of a megachurch in Calgary, grew a youth group after we had our shrink to seven, grew to hundreds of kids. So we, I was in, 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 in demand for a while as a speaker around the country as this kind of late, hottest youth pastor kind of guy. And I would preach, and, and so I got this vision, I got this call to Vancouver, and I thought, you know what, we're going to do this in Vancouver. I'm going to come to Vancouver, bless God, we're going to have a mega church, and we're going to take the city for God. And, but before I could get here, I suffered a nervous breakdown. So when I arrived in Vancouver, I was broken. I didn't have my mental health yet. We ended up in Commercial Drive where Riverview had just emptied out onto. Riverview Mental Hospital had just closed down. So hundreds, maybe thousands of mentally ill people were displaced and homeless in the Commercial Drive area. So I came home, basically. That's what it felt like. And then we suffered drug addiction and mental illness in our family, generationally. We suffered it over the years. We got a little two-bedroom apartment. Wasn't even enough for each one of our family to have a bedroom. My wife and I had to sleep in the living room for a while. Gordy Gibosh stayed with us for a while, went into the closet. As he said, that's where I learned how to become a closet Christian. <laughs> and, I, and I remember Jesus saying to me when we arrived to Vancouver, he said, I want you to be a gift to the city. I want you to live in the city and love without an agenda. Get under the skin and under the pain and feel its pain. And feel my love, feel my heart, feel my embrace for the city. How does God come to town? 
And when he lived his life, he refused to be a stage. He refused to be a platform. And I'm not dissing that wherever and whenever it happens. But Jesus wasn't about that. He healed the leper, and the leper says, Jesus, I want to tell somebody, do you know how many likes I'll get on Facebook if I post this? He said, don't tell anybody. Why did he do that? What is it about his rule and his reign? Because he knew, just like he learned in the wilderness temptation, that if you live your life trying to impress people, you can't love them. He didn't come to impress us. He came to lay his life down for us. To give himself for us. And that was his biggest temptation in the wilderness. The devil says, you're the Messiah? Shock and awe them. Give them shock and awe. Jump off the temple. Turn the stone to bread. Take the city. I'll give you the whole city. Just worship me. You can take the city. You can have it. But his life ended lonely, abandoned by his closest friends on a cross. Because that's how God reigns. That's God's reign. So we come to Palm Sunday. Now it's time to impress with shock and awe. And of all things, he picks a lowly beast of bird and a donkey to ride on. It's not the way to impress people. He says, you want impression? This is the closest you're going to get. And oh, and by the way, the, the destination at the end of this week is, a, is I'm going to be on a cross. See how, see how you like that. See how many likes that gets on Facebook. Maybe that's why discipleship decreases crowds. You don't have big lineups, as Shane Claiborne says, to come and die on a cross. So let's finish the story. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their, their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna, which means God save us. To the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. There was this cry, we need to be saved. They just didn't know how badly. They didn't, they didn't realize that they needed to be saved from the Romans. And by the way, you know why God wants us to be patient with those who annoy us? Because they remind us of how much we annoy ourselves. How much we hate ourselves. And he wants to save us from that. He wants to save us so that we can see how he sees us. So brother or sister, sandpaper is only reminding you of your own self-hatred and self-loathing and how much you need to be saved. When they entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The word of the Lord. So one more thought. And we'll wrap it up here. Palm Sunday is bittersweet as Jesus' triumphal entry is the entrance to his suffering and death. And it exposes our fickle human nature. Why? Because how many in that crowd yelling Hosanna within four or five days were crying, crucify him? They were like Canucks fans or worse. You know what this is, eh? What's that? 
That's the bandwagon, right? That's the Canucks fans' bandwagon. Hosea, the prophet, compared us and God to nature. He said, here's what God's like. He's like the sunrise. What do you know about the sunrise? Even Vancouver. It's going to happen. He says, We're gonna, it's like the spring rains. What do we know about the spring rains? Hey, it's Vancouver. It happens. Right? I remember when we had that August drought a few years ago, and some newspaper reporter says, ah, you bunch of whiners. We were all whining about how hot it was and how dry it was. And he says, you bunch of whiners. Just, just wait for November. Yeah. And it was the worst rain month we'd ever had. It's horrible. God's like that. Comes like the rain, like the sunshine. But then he uses nature to describe us. He says, What's your, what do you like? Does anybody remember? You're like the morning mist. You're like the dew. Palm Sunday reminds us that God's reign is about his faithfulness, his hesed, his unfailing love. And our job is to remember it and to acknowledge it. Come, let us return to the Lord. And I want to speak this over somebody today, at least one, maybe more today. For he is torn to pieces, but he will heal. He is injured, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. How do you acknowledge the Lord? How do I acknowledge people? I thank them. I remember them. I notice. I notice what they're doing. I notice when they're doing something right, not just when they're doing something wrong. I was talking to Aldona today about the, 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 the cleaning in this building. How many know cleaning is like sound? Right, Dean? When you do it right, nobody notices. Isn't so much of our life like that? But you do it wrong, then somebody notices. Right? Acknowledging is noticing people doing something right. And it's the same with God. He says, would you remember me? Would you acknowledge me? Would you remember that, that sunrise? And I do this every morning. I walk through our neighborhood, literally every morning, except my Sabbath, I do it somewhere else. But in my neighborhood, most other morning. And I usually walk just as the sun's coming up. And it reminds me of God. It reminds me of the Lord. It reminds me that he's faithful. It reminds me that he's never going to, never going to, never, 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 never going to let me down. Never. Even if I end my life hanging on a cross alone, he'll be there because he was there. And he still is. So, by resisting the temptation to be impressive and to choose the way of loving humility, gentleness, and patience, we disarm the powers. It's not impressive. It's like a mustard seed, which it was actually kind of annoying back in those days. It's like that horsetail that we're trying to get out of the community garden. 
That's kind of what mustard seed was like. It's kind of invasive. But... And you know what kind of birds? Jesus talked about the birds that find their shelter in the mustard seed. you know what kind of birds they were? No, it's not those beautiful eagles that sit on our cross, bless their hearts. It's these annoying little scavenger birds that sit in the mustard seed. And that's the kind of people the kingdom draws. The outcasts, the marginalized. Woo! So, why don't you guys come back up? I want to just finish with a little more worship. And just while they're coming, there's a couple of questions I'd like you all to think about. How have you been shown gentleness in your life or not? Reflect on its impact on how you are with others. You are precious to God. You're infinitely precious. And you are fragile. And when you hold a little baby in your arms, there, there's that combination of fragility and preciousness that as far as God is concerned, you never lose. Yes, we grow up and become independent. But that's God's heart for you. Regardless of how you feel, you may have missed the road. Some of you, I think the Lord's speaking about independence versus codependence. Do you err to one or the other? Codependence is where you're overly dependent on others in an unhealthy way, in an addictive way. Independence is where you say, I can do it on my own. We tend to relate to God in the same way, whether we realize it or not. If you can't be interdependent with people, then your idea that you're dependent on God is probably you're lying to yourself. Where is God inviting you to greater interdependence that you may be resisting? There may be resistances, and maybe rightfully so. Maybe you've been shown the kind of kingship and rulership that is you want to run from, not surrender to. And what is one area of your life requiring patience and perseverance while you wait in hope? And ask someone to pray for you. I was thinking of Simeon, that guy in the temple. He was like this old guy. And God said, you're not going to die till you see the Messiah. He's going, yeah, that's so exciting. So finally the spirit says, he's here. And he says, where, where is he, where is he? He's looking for this king. And he sees this little baby. And he says, Lord, now your servant. They do this in the, in the daily offices, don't they? Every night in the, what is it, the compline hour. They pray the prayer of Zechariah. Now, because every night I, I go to sleep, it's like dying and resurrection. Right? Every, every night you go to sleep, it's like death and resurrection. Now your servant can depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. It says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit because that's how, that's how we'll make it. That's how we'll, we'll, we'll finish our race well. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's just, just let the Holy Spirit speak about some of these things. If you need some prayer, come on up here or just have someone pray for you. Or just soak. Let's just worship for a few minutes more. Enjoy the gift these guys are to us today.